Welcome to season one of the Beacon of Hope podcast with Jesse Kretzer, your host, bringing hope and encouragement to nine to five rebels. Having raised two career musicians, building her own business, and teaching others to do the same, Jesse is intimately familiar with the behind the scenes grit needed to go after your passion. And life experience has taught her this. There are a lot of things you can live without, and hope is not one of them. And now, here's your host, 9 to 5 Rebel herself, Jessie Kretzer. Well, welcome to the Beacon of Hope podcast. Um, the goal of each episode, as you all know, is I'm going to interview a 9 to 5 Rebel all throughout season one. And my hope is that I'm going to encourage other nine to five rebels out there as I interview and learn about different journeys. So my definition of a nine to five rebel is someone with a fire in their belly and a dream in their heart that you're just not able to silence no matter what. So today my guest is Ryan Daltridge. He is the founder and owner of Bustin Boards. And Ryan's story is quite amazing because he's traveled the journey from having taking a hobby that um, I think started in your room at college all the way to the point of being one of the 500 fastest growing privately held companies um, cited in Inc. Magazine in 2013. And, you know, it's amazing to watch someone build something from nothing. And there's so much that happens behind the scenes, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the journey. And so that's what we're going to hear about from Ryan today. So Ryan, I'm going to let you kick us off and take us all the way back to the beginning, if you would like to. I kind of gave them some clues, but there's a whole lot in between um, (laughs) that you can fill in the blanks. But at some point, you had this fire in your belly and this dream in your in your heart that you couldn't silence and you had to um, you had to answer that call. So tell us a little bit about how it all started, where you were and and whatever else you want to take us through. Sure. So I mean, I skated a bit when I was younger, maybe middle school age, we got into it. Um, and I don't know, maybe it was a year or two. We were really into it and then and then sort of fell out of that and got back into soccer and was, you know, just a full on intense soccer player through through high school um went to college to play soccer and after my freshman year of college um i was in outer banks with with my girlfriend who's now my wife rory and these longboard skateboards were like a new thing so people at, at outer banks were riding them and they were in the skate shops and we really wanted ones we tried we rode some ones like oh the kind of the skateboard thrill came back and rory was into it and it was cool uh, but of course we couldn't afford them they were like $160 each. And so I said, Hey, when I get back, I'll go in dad's barn and I'll just make, I'll make us some. It can't be that hard. It's a piece of wood. So I got back, got on eBay, found trucks and wheels and parts that, you know, that I needed. And I made actually the first board for her, um, which I still have. And, and then I made a series of boards after that, just playing with it, trying to figure out how to bend the wood and, and, uh, print the graphics and and I just actually just became obsessed with this weird project it was like it was a project um they were fun to ride but the bigger thing was the project of just learning how to make them 
every little piece of it. Um, I got so obsessed. I got back to college that fall and set up a shop in my college dorm room, kept making them, um, I began selling them on eBay at some point was surprised to see that they actually sold, you know, it was a new trend and there weren't very many places to buy them. Um, and so I ended up probably the last two years of college that kind of funded, that was sort of my beer money, if you will, job, which kept me from having to wait tables and all the things I'd done before that. And, um, it just kind of worked and it was fun. It was still sort of a hobby, but I was making a little money off of it. When I graduated, my, you know, my parents said, okay, good job. You just, you know, you just went a hundred grand in debt. What are you going to do now? What, what job are you going to get? And of course I said, what are you talking about? I'm going to make, I'm going to make skateboards. And, um, I was not well received and, uh, but I did it anyway. And my parents, you know, allowed me to do that without too much pushback. And I learned my lesson after that first summer back that it was much harder than I thought. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything to work with. Most of the things I needed to do, I didn't know how to do. So I was still just kind of playing in the barn with paint and wood. Um, by that fall, I think I sort of wisened up and said, look, I need to get a job. I need to make some money. Not to mention Rory was in New York at the time and I really wanted to go be closer to her and I was tired of being with my parents. So I got a real job um, through an alumnus at Syracuse and moved to New York to take a real job and start a real life. But when I got to New York, uh, one of the things, you know, one of the things I did a lot was ride my board. I didn't have a lot of money. I was making you know, not a lot of money. I was living in an eighth floor walk up that costs a thousand dollars a month. And I had, nothing to do but really ride these boards I was making. And it, and it kind of dawned on me then that this is perfect for New York. There's no better way to get around the city than a longboard. And some of the weird shapes that I had come up with were really good for that. They were good for pushing and they were low to the ground and there was this sort of aha moment. And so of course, one day I had to tell my parents, hey, I'm getting back into skateboard making <laughs> and I want to quit my job. Um, and terrified as they were, I did it. And I think I worked at that job on, it was on wall street. It's pretty, pretty interesting experience. I was the guy skateboarding down wall street in a suit every day. And that was kind of funny. Um, after about a year, I quit my job and I went after it again. And I just thought, um, you know, I'm not going to be the person who knew this was coming, but missed it because they were afraid to, to jump off and do it. This is happening. Longboards are getting popular everywhere. They're really good for New York and no one's doing it here, especially all the companies at the time were like California based surfing waves, flowers, like that kind of style. And I thought, man, this is a, this is an opportunity to be like an East coast gritty kind of graffiti looking feeling city boards, not just boardwalk boards. And so, so I, I left that job. Um, and started trying to make skateboards again. I started, you know, I got some jobs waiting tables and made ends meet, but I just wanted to put all of my fresh energy into something that I was building and not just a job that I was working. All I right, hang on a second. Really I gotta stop you right there. Cause I read mm -hmm. something about your story in the season where you were working the job on Wall Street, riding your board to work and back. And you, if I recall what I read, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, you would get up before that job and you would hammer out what 
how you're going to make this skateboard business work. And then yeah. is this, is this about what was happening? Because yeah, that, this that happened. Um, that may have happened some during that job, but that was a little bit later, maybe. Okay. Okay. So, At some point. Yeah. Well, I love the way you talk about that first moment when this idea was born in the Outer Banks. It was, these are cool. I can't afford one. I'm going to make some. It's amazing how yeah. many businesses have started that way. And, you know, yeah. you talk about this, we call it, we call it a side gig. Now you called it a hobby. Um, this making something out of nothing that, that, you know, it just, you, it's exactly what I describe as a nine to five rebel. You keep describing over and over this fire in your belly that nobody could silence. You know, you studied psychology at Syracuse. And I've known many people that have gone to college for psychology and then they're like, so now what do I do with that degree? But, you know, you have, I think from the way I understand your story, that degree has served you well because yeah. you've described already here in the beginning of our interview, the psychology that was going on in your mind as you were seeing these trends. Right. As you, you know, as you were taking this um, hobby of selling boards on eBay while you were in college, and now you're going to pick it up more as you walk away from the job. Okay, so now here's the here's the big place that nine to five rebels find themselves, and they want this is really where they need mentoring, and that is I'm working this nine to five. It's paying the bills. It's a guaranteed paycheck, but I it's not serving my passion and I can't, I got to go do this thing. A lot of people don't understand it, but I got to do it and I can't explain it, but I got to do it. So that, that transition. So take us there into, you know, what was going on in your head? How hard is it yeah. to walk away from that job? Well, I mean, backing up just a minute, the reason I studied psychology, I think is, is relevant. So I, I went into school as a pre-law student for no particular reason. Um, I ended up switching to sociology because I thought that was interesting. And then I settled on psychology because I really wanted to just understand myself. So I, I, had, I had kind of become convinced that anyone can really do anything if they convince themselves that they can do it, right? So the key to your potential is unlocking that, that confidence in yourself, unlocking that, that whatever it is, that stubborn belief. And so I wanted to study psychology and I just decided that I need to figure that out. And then after I figure that out, I'll do whatever I want. You know, I could go be a lawyer if I want. I could be an architect, I could make skateboards. I could be a pro soccer player probably if I wanted to. But first I have to come to believe in that. And like to do that, I need to understand what my, what's going on up there, right? And I think that was important. And again, try to explain that to your parents when, you're, when your college costs $45,000 a year. It was it was kind of a, a bold move. I think it was like, wait, you're going to study something that doesn't, you're not going to be a counselor or a psychologist. And I, I thought, no, I don't want, I don't really care about other people. I mean, I don't, I don't want to die dissect and talk about other people. I just want to figure out myself because I think that's what I need to do in order to be happy, to be productive, to be free. And so that, that was really the premise where it all started. And, and I, but I think, you know, to answer your question, it takes a bit of stubbornness and you have to be, 
you can't be terribly risk averse in order to do that, to quit that job. But in order to be, um, to not be risk averse, you have to be comfortable with whatever happens. So, you know, I think um, I learned, uh, I lived in Africa for a semester and I really learned to live without things. And I learned that things really don't matter. That if you don't have food, you can still buy bananas for 13 cents and eat those. Or if you don't have a, a house, you can go live with your parents or whatever it is. And so I think one of the things about being able to jump, leave that job and do the thing is to be able to accept that it may not work and whatever. You know, it's not the end of the world if I don't have my $350 a month car lease because that stuff is meaningless. What's more important is that I'm doing something I like and that I have, you know, a mission that, you know, that I'm going for. And I think, so that's part of it. And I think the other, the other side of it is obviously the confidence and just knowing that you're going to get it done. Um, but that's not to say I didn't have a backup plan. I mean, I think I've always disagreed with people who say that you shouldn't have a backup plan. I feel like that's a little weird. Some people yeah. say, oh, if you do that, you're going you're gonna to be watering down your goal. But I think, I think in a way it actually makes you more comfortable knowing that you have something. So one of the things I did around the, picking back up the story around that time, I left my job, I was waiting tables, but I recognized and I, you know, I got some lectures from my dad about this, but the time was, you need a backup plan. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to wait tables forever. You can't, you know, this is not a, you know, if that's what you want to do, then fine. But it's, it's, so I decided that my backup plan would be web design and graphic design, because if I learned that, then I would be doing something that Bustin needs and I would always be, you know, able to, to help that, but I would also be developing a backup plan. So I switched gears. You know, actually, I think when I quit that job, I didn't work, I had a little money saved up and I think I took three months off. And during the three months, I, I literally sat in my room and I learned web design. I drank coffee and I sat there and I did, I just learned web design. I went to online classes um, and I literally built a little mini fake portfolio. It was ryandaltridge.com. And in there, I built a bunch of fake websites, just, you know, prototypes. Here's how you do it, da 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 And after I got done that little portfolio, I kind of had the basics of how to, do, how to do it. So I built a couple websites for people I knew. Um, you know, let me build you a free website for your business. I'm just trying to get some experience. Did that for a while. And once I had a little portfolio, maybe after a couple months, I actually started submitting it for jobs. And one cool thing that happened was I submitted to a listing on Craigslist for a job for a fashion company. Fashion company seeks junior flash developer or whatever, something I kind of kind of barely knew how to do. And I sent this in and I got a call back and the guy goes, hey, Ryan, it's uh, Ed from Ralph Lauren. Yeah, could you come in for an interview? We just wanted to see what you got. And so I went in and... Uh, Took the interview, you know, I feel like a total fraud. I'm like, oh crap, I just, I just learned how to do this. I am not actually a web designer. Like I'm fake it till to... you make it and you just made yes. it and you're like, wait, I'm still faking I'm it. I'm going to literally the Trump Tower on Madison Avenue to this, to this <laughs> office. And I go in and the guy's really cool and I'm checking, chatted up with him and he goes, so, so you think you could do it? And I was like, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, if you could, yeah, I'll probably need some, some training, but I know the basics. <laughs> and he goes, all right, good. Um, so we're gonna have you come back Tuesday and we'll just do a test project. We'll make sure you know what you can do and then we'll go from there. And so, <laughs> you know, my heart dropped because I didn't know what I didn't know what I was doing. So I came back that Tuesday. He said, here's the project. We got to make um, this perfume. We got to make a little mini site for this perfume. It needs to calculate the date and the time so it can show up. And, and then I want people to enter their emails and be able to enter this contest and da, 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 And I literally had zero idea how to do this. Zero. So, but I, I said, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a try. So I went in there two hours. Maybe I sat in there just, you know, the first phase of that was, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. Come on, come on, come on. There's got to be a way. What if you just, how do you do Google, Google how to bring in date and time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Good old but Google. Anyway, after two hours, after two hours, I, I knew I was, I was blown. My cover was blown. I was a fraud. It was over. And so I kind of, I kind of just got up, went to the guy's office and I just face was probably beat red. And I said, Hey man, I'm sorry. I, um, that stuff is over my head. I thought I knew what I was doing, but obviously I'm not like to the caliber of this job. So I'm really sorry for wasting your time. I'm going to go. Sorry about that. And he goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. He goes, we didn't expect you to be able to do it. And I was like, okay. He was like, I just want to see how you responded to me after you couldn't do it. <laughs> wow. Now there's so, some psychology. Know, so, you know, you think about that. You know, I think a, a great part of me at that time wanted to sneak out of the building. Yeah. And I think a lot of you really people, weren't looking for a job. You were really wanting yeah, to I felt like a fraud. And, and I, yeah, and that too. And I was like, oh my God. But he said, look, um, I like you. You're honest. You're, you know, we can train you on how to do this stuff. That's not the problem. I just wanted to make sure you were, you know, <laughs> I guess, not a psychopath or something. Yeah, who are and, they were hiring who you were, not what you could do, because they knew you could yeah. learn. So I learned wow. a lot there. I was, I was there for um, almost two years, I think. And I did, you know, I did my job, but I also took everything I learned home and I built a Boston website and I just kept everything I learned. I was funneling it into. If you, if you went back to Ralph Lauren's website during that period, you would see a lot of similarities to ours in terms of what contests we were having and things, because it was like, I just learned specific things and then I went and applied them and there were still a million things I didn't know, but whatever I knew, I just used it. So you so. got on the job training, paid, paid on the job training for building Bustin Boards brand website and such, such. And it sounds to me like when you were working on your backup plan, some people would have said you should have been working on your business plan but you took your parents' advice and you worked on a backup plan and it led to a job that you weren't looking for. Yeah. And that's where the 4am comes in. Okay, that, that was, that was, this is the okay. time when, um, this is when the time we were busting really started to work. We were selling boards and I had this job. And so I knew that, you know, I had this feeling that I just hated wasting all my freshest energy. I still feel that way. Like if you try to contact me between the hours of eight and 12, to this day, I'm weird and I don't want to talk <laughs> except to you. Oh, good. Because my fresh energy is like, I value that. I think that's really important. First thing in the morning until lunchtime is like crucial to me. 
I think clearer, I work faster, I'm more decisive. And so I realized that at the time and I just, I started waking up at three, four in the morning and I would just decide, hey, if I did that, I can get four or five hours of work in before I go to this other job. And sadly, I'm not giving my other job my 100%, but that's why I'm only getting paid, you know, an hourly rate. So, um, and I did that for a while and I got a lot done. You know, and by the time I got home from my job, I was exhausted, but I would go to bed early because I had to get up early. And that, that was a nice little cycle. And um, I do really still believe in that. If you, you know, you pick what's most important to you and then you give that your most valuable time. Don't give it to other things or other people. So what time do you get up nowadays? What's your schedule look like? Um, I mean, I know it's completely different. We'll get into the fatherhood passion later, but. Yeah, when the nights started becoming unpredictable with babies and things, it's it's more about how much sleep do I get. I think um, sometimes there's there's no routine. Babies wake up, kids wake mm-hmm. up, um, but I always just try to get seven hours of sleep. And if I do, then I'm usually fine. Okay. Whether that comes, uh, you know, from midnight to seven or ten to five, it depends. But I usually can't sleep much more than seven before I wake up. Well, that, I mean, all of the coaches of the world will tell you if you're going for your dreams, you have to get up an hour earlier. You have to start, you know, exactly what you're saying about take that best part of your day and really apply it to what you want to do. And you're describing, you know, I have seen you be a survivor (laughs) in so many ways through the years. Um, but as you describe the story, you're describing it even deeper than I saw. And I truly have always known that you had that grit that, that professional athletes have that Olympic, you know, Olympians have that, um, just people like, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, they have this, this work ethic that, you know, I, I struggled for a while calling us nine to five rebels because some people think that that means that we don't want to work nine to five. It's not that we don't want to work nine to five. It's that we will work more than nine to five. We will do what it takes, right? That's the difference. We don't want the structure. We want a place where we can be creative and we want to be able to build something from nothing and we're willing to do what it takes. And you have to make sacrifice. Like you said, you learned so many lessons that are pouring into you as a business owner when you were in Africa and you saw what you can live without. And I've had other um, nine to five rebels on business owners that say, you know what, at some point you're just going to have to make that jump and you're going to have to believe in yourself. And you said it right here. I had to believe in myself that I could figure it out. I didn't know, I didn't have to sit here and know exactly how it was gonna work and know that I could make it work. I just had to believe in myself enough and test myself enough to know that whatever comes my way, I can figure it out and I can learn it. And, and I that think that practice, has, I think. wow. You need, you need to, it's baby steps. You know, that's, that's the psychology of it. You need to win at a few things before you can go for bigger things. So the first thing is like, could I set up a Zoom call and actually make that work? And then you say, yeah. And then you go, well, could I figure out how to build a website using a 
some online thing. And then, you know, you, you train yourself to realize that, and the only thing stopping me is, is my own insecurity or my own laziness. And that's kind of what you get, get to the point of. And I have this conversation with my wife a lot. I mean, we talk about our struggles and we kind of keep each other in check. And it's like, usually it's like, there's nothing wrong with the external environment here. These problems that we're talking about have nothing to do with anybody other than us. Like I'm not handling this thing, you know, the way it should be handled. That's it. I can't blame so-and-so for being grumpy and such and such for not shipping on time. Like I'm not on top of it. And I got to, you know, the only thing that, and the reason I'm stressed is because I'm not, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little interesting twist here before we go to break. And I want to go back to the love story. (laughs) I cannot wait to interview your wife and share her nine to five rebel story. And to hear your love story here about how, the first board that you built was for the love of your life, how you followed her to New York. And just, I mean, there's so much to the love story and how you're just the wind beneath her wings. She's the wind beneath your wings. I mean, you guys, you guys really are amazing. And I know that's not easy, but um, what do you want to tell us about the love story? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I say it a lot, but there was, you know, there's, I guess there's two sides of it. One is that you have to learn to, to believe in yourself and love yourself and be self-sufficient without someone else before you can have the, the pleasure of having someone else who supports you. That's one thing. I think I went through a lot of years, Rory and I were separated, um, broken up and, in different places. And I went through a lot of heartache at times thinking like, I need her. This life that I envision with us, I have to have it. Like I can't be happy unless I have it. And then one day, and one day I woke up and I just realized that might not happen. Yeah. There's no guarantee that, that I'm ever going to, we're ever going to get back together or whatever it is. And I'm, you know, I'm 20 something at the time. And I realized that I need to make sure that my life is, is cool. My life is something that I want, that I'm happy regardless of that. Because otherwise, man, I could wake up being 50 years old and still not have this woman that I'm obsessing over and, and have nothing but just years of, you know, depression. And so I, I, I can't remember exactly why I had that epiphany, but I really did. And I just thought, I'm done with that. Holy crap. I'm done with that. I'm going to focus on my company and being productive and getting better and, Da, 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 da. And then if, if that works out, that works out. And almost immediately after that epiphany, that worked out. You know, it's something like when you stop trying, when you really break through and you say like, I'm self-sufficient. Not, I don't need someone else to make me happy. I don't need someone else to motivate me. I figured that out. At that moment, you know, I think she did too. And all of a sudden we were just great friends again. And there wasn't that like, I miss you so much. Should we be together? I don't know. All of a sudden it went to, it became, hey, what's going on with your thing? Is it, is it fun? Cool. Mine is too. Yeah. Da, da, da. And all of a sudden you start liking each other more. Uh-huh. Because, you know, you're not needy. You're not sucking, sucking the life out of each other, if you will. So that was, that's first. But then I think 
later, once you're together, and, and you know, I, I really do feel like I would be able to do a fraction of what I do if it weren't for Rory, because she really is just like the best cheerleader and the best, um, and she just really sees the best in everyone. So it's nice to be with someone like that because you know, she sees the best in you. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of psychology there. I mean, when someone, that affirmation and that, you know, you're a genius, you can figure this out. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. How did you figure that? I can't believe you figured that out. Da, 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 da. It, it, it builds you up. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, now well, got to be the same with her when she's starting her business and it's, it takes that, you know, it takes that when you're up and down, it's helpful to have someone who's your cheerleader. Yeah. Well, what I want to say about that is that when you jump into building a business, it requires you to be the best version of yourself or you just, you just fail. You either get better and figure it out and become a better person or not. And what you described, I think, is you became a better version of Brian, where you had that confidence. And then she became a better version of Rory. And then you got back together, both of you, with this better version. And you're both dreamers and you're both go-getters. And, you know, it's pretty amazing how she was that believer in you. We all need that. You know, every single person that goes after an untraditional way of making a living is going to have dream stealers in their life. It is normal. These are the people that love us and don't understand it. And so they're just trying to protect us. And, but you also need those cheerleaders to balance it out. And so in the second half, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about those cheerleaders and those mentors in your life. But for whatever reason, I just have this special place in my heart for dreamers. And I raised yeah. two dreamers and I've been a dreamer all of my life. And so I've traveled this and now part yeah. of the legacy that I want to leave is to be the be the one that continues to be the wind under the wings of all of these dreamers that the world needs. I think, um, I think it's important to mention, mention my father now because his thing was always, you got to dream. You know, if my dad, I don't know, my dad's sitting at home right now dreaming about something might be going fishing this weekend, but his thing has always been, if you don't have a dream, you know, there's nothing to live for. Like you gotta, uh -huh. gotta have something. And whenever I would get discouraged, whenever, whatever would happen, you know, it was always, come on, man, let's find a dream. What's your dream? Like, who cares about this challenge that you're dealing with this girl that broke your heart or this thing you wanted, but didn't get like, what's your dream? And, um, I think my entrepreneurial spirit started actually probably in middle school because, um, I had a friend, um, who was kind of wealthy. His father was a doctor and he got a brand new four wheeler ATV. And, and I said to my dad, man, like all this, I just feel, you know, jealous. I want one. Why can't I have one? It's so cool. And we don't have any, my dad's a preacher. You know, we don't, it's not like that. So, and my dad, you know, I think through the pain of him knowing like he just, you know, that feeling of not being able to give your kids as much as other people or something, you know, he just said like, Hey man, if your dreams to have a four wheeler, then let's get you, let's figure it out. Let's make a plan, get a piece of paper. Let's start mapping it out. 
And that's where I started thinking this way. He said, he said, you know, how much is a four wheeling? Do your research. I came back and said, it's thousand dollars, 1200 bucks. You probably find one. All right. So we need 1200 bucks. He said, how much money can you make if you, this summer, what, what could you do? And I said, um, I can mow grass. You, you could call around to the neighbors and mow grass, charge them $25 a cut. How long would it take you to raise a thousand dollars? You had four customers per week, 10 weeks. He said, and I'll tell you what, you raise 600, I'll get a job laying stone because he did that on the side. I'll raise 600, that way we can get there faster and you'll have your four wheeler, but you gotta get that done. And sure enough, yeah, I forget how long it took, but I got it. And it was like super duper special. I think, you know, much more valuable than someone giving me a four wheeler. Because in oh, that moment yeah. you realized there's a, there's a tactical approach to dreaming. It's like, yeah. I have a dream, and if I wanted to get there, what steps would I take? And then you decide, is that reasonable or not? And then right. you decide, he, oh, oh, wow, the lessons that he taught you. Yeah. And, I mean, not only did he mentor you and teach you to dream and give you that entrepreneurial mindset, but I can think of a lot of scenarios where a pastor might say, well, that's a pipe dream, or... Yeah you should be feeding the hungry mowing grass not buying yourself a luxury four-wheeler so right the fact that he did not squelch your dream but he taught you how to work for it you know to teach you a work ethic and to teach you also i love that he taught you that it was okay to want something as long as you're willing to work for it yeah and I know, I'm sure you're teaching your sons that. So we're going to go to break. Cool. But when we come back, we're going to dig more into this business and we're going to dig more into the love story, whether he wants to or not, because we're all loving that part, right? So, but Ryan took this, um, let's see, from 2008 to 2011, you took busting boards from a $350,000 uh, a year business to $4 million. Now, that's what you call building your brand. That's what you call, you know, quite, that's, that's success. In any by any terms, that is success. And then you caught the attention of the right partnerships that you needed as the business evolved. And so we're gonna talk a little bit more about that and where Bustin is today and where it's headed and uh, just the lessons that you have to share through that. Sure. So we will, we'll be back in just a little bit here. This is your host, Jesse Kretzer. If you're like me and you have an entrepreneurial spirit that just won't quit, you're in the right place. Whether you've made the leap to call yourself the boss yet or not, your spirit will be fueled by the experiences and the advice of each one of my guests. Now back to today's episode. Well, we are back to the second half here with Brian Daltridge of Bustin' Boards. And we left off talking a little bit about this wonderful growth period, right? When 2008 to 2011, um, you grow from 350,000 to 4 million. You know, you're in Inc. Magazine in 2013, fastest growing privately held company. You know, longboarding is hot and Bustin' Boards brand is, you know, just on fire. And then, you know, there, there's always seasons of 
there's cycles where things are hot, things are up, things are down. And um, so take us, take us there and forward. Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of people have gone through this, this same kind of thing where you, you have a growth period, some kind of extreme growth or extreme success and, and your head gets big, you know, you think I'm a freaking genius. Everything I does work, <laughs> everything I make sells. And, and I think you, you know, I think a young entrepreneur always has to go through that. Hopefully is able to go through that at some point because, because eventually things change. And, and with our growth, I remember it happening. I remember being somewhat nervous about it, but also wanting to be optimistic about it and saying, this is going to continue forever. We're going to be a $20 million company, $50 million, $100 million. This is going to be crazy. But at the same time, I was reaching out to mentors, especially people that have been in the industry for a long time. And I was asking them like, what do you think is going to happen? Is this going to keep going? Because all of my competitors, all my friends who are in the industry think that it is. All the other brands, all the other people like me from other companies felt like, oh, no, it's fun, man. It's, it's going to keep going for sure. And I just remember having some skepticism. I didn't want to, but I did. And so I spoke to some people. And um, what I heard kind of consistently from people in skateboarding was that skateboarding is up and down. It's, it's a wave. And this will definitely end. Don't worry about that. And when it does a lot of people are going to be caught off guard and they're probably going to go out of business. And one guy called it the shakeout period. He said the shakeout period's coming. I mean, there was an, at the time there was a new skateboard company popping up every day. You know, I went to lunch with a guy one time because he begged me to go because he said his son that I was his son's, um, his son was my biggest fan. I wanted, my son would do anything to go to lunch with you. Could you go with us? So I went with him. He talks to me at lunch. I tell him the whole story of Boston. I told him what we're working on. Da, 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 da. Two weeks later, he and his son launched their own skateboard company, modeled after hours. And it's just that kind of thing was happening constantly. Um, and so it was kind of, it was, it was a bubble that was bound to burst. In hindsight, it seemed super obvious. But at the time, we were like, oh, no, it's going to keep going. So it did. It, it, it slowly started to slow down. A lot of little competitors came along. They went from being maybe a dozen significant companies in longboarding to like 100, 200. Um, and it started to take away and you could feel it. And people were starting to say like, wow, when I, when I launch a new board, I don't sell 500 anymore. I only sell 100. Is it, is it because the board's not good or is something changing in the industry? And, in high, and now we know it was because something was changing and slowly started to slow down. And then finally, you know, your Amazons and Walmarts of the world caught the scent. And that was really where it changed drastically because we were selling boards for $200. They were selling the same perceived to be the same thing for $69. And, mm. and they were also, you know, using SEO and some of these online marketing tools jumping ahead of us and people were finding them first. So people were saying, Hey, this one looks pretty cool. It's 69 Boston 200. That's crazy. Why, why would it be 200? And so it became, it turned into a really difficult time for the industry. Um, and, you know, that's, I think, where I think survivors and competitive people tend to thrive. And I remember this conversation I had with one of our, he was actually one of our customers. He was a big online retailer. And I think his business was something like $4 million too. And he, he was like, Ryan, I'm so pissed. 
this is, you know, this is BS. Like they can't just take our whole market from us like this. And I was like, I mean, oh yeah, they can. There's not really anything we can do. I mean, it's, yeah. he's like, we can, we can call them out. I'm like, you know, everyone wants to call out Amazon and Walmart, but what's your platform? You're not, you're not going to make, you're just going to waste your time. And I remember him saying like, it just, like, this can't be happening. Da, 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 da. And at the meet, and at the same time, you know, I was telling him, I was like, look, it's happening. You got to figure out what to do. At the time I was doing lots of surveys. I was surveying long borders and customers who were you know, customers and non-customers give you, I'll give you something free if you fill out this survey, blah, blah, blah. Just trying to figure out what the thought process was. And I learned things like, you know, stuff about the pricing and the perceived value and what people care about. And, you know, do, do cool video sell boards or do cool graphics sell boards, you know, stuff like that. And I remember this guy on the phone saying, you know what, man, I'm just, I'm just so tired. And so angry. he's like, I just, I just want to go surfing sometimes, man. I just want to drop it all and go surfing. And I, I remember saying to him straight up, like, Scott, you should do it. You should go surfing. Just do it. Like start something else because this is where Matt, this is where it gets real. This is where you have to decide, like, do I enjoy this process, this challenge? Do I want to take that on? Or does it stress me out and, and do I hate my life because I'm having to go through it? And for me, I always kind of, I try to, I, maybe it's not innate, but I try to enjoy the, the challenge. And that's part of the psychology, I think. It's like, all right, this is happening. Let's have fun with it. There's some way you can fix this. You're going to do it. You got this. Come on. It's not a big deal. And if it doesn't work, who cares? But it's a challenge. No one else can figure it out and you can. So that's awesome. And like, that's how I really approach that period where I like eventually, I mean, it was stressful for sure. There were days when I was like deflated, but, but really the big thing is, okay, it's, it's, it's broken. The engine's broken. Do we like start drinking and sit down and give up? Or do we just put the hood up, roll your sleeves up and fix the thing? And that's, I think, where it's really, really important to, to learn how to appreciate that challenge because it's going to happen over and over. Everything changes, you know. Right. Yeah, I, right. I just looked at my reports this week and our typical sales for, for skateboards, the thing that we were selling the most back in those huge, huge sales periods have not come back. You know, we, we've come back, but those sales have not come back. They're about the same. So you can't, you can't force something to come back to life if it's not mm -hmm. natural. Right. And so in our, well, in you our had, case, yeah. You had to address what was outside your control and you were humbled, of course, like we all are in these hard times. And you said it, well, this is, this is the test. This is where, you know, how did you say it? This is kind of like where you're, you're sorted out or whatever. Um, yeah, the, the shakeout real, period. Yeah, the shakeout period. Thank you. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us to today because this is very relevant right now to what we're dealing with. Um, with um, the you know the stay at home order. We live in Maryland here, right? This is our business in Maryland, our hometown. Ryan's come back to his hometown. He brought a little bit of the West Coast cool to Hagerstown, is what people say about you. Um, and I was getting a cup of coffee one morning, a couple of months ago at a cute little coffee shop called Cannon Coffee. 
and in walks Ryan, who your wife across town is about to do a soft launch of her business, Free Range Cafe, who will also have the same vibe as Canon Coffee in terms of teaching people that real food can make you feel good and that ingredients matter. And so you're coming in to get a cup of coffee, support a local dreamer, Chris Reese, and um, the governor is speaking. And everybody kind of stops and we're listening. And at that moment, the governor says, five o'clock, I think it was five o'clock tomorrow, we will be closing down restaurants um, until further notice. And I mean, this is the livelihood. This is the talk about having your dream trampled, right? This is that moment. And um, now the real heart, the real, the heart and soul of the, of the small business comes to the surface, right? In times like these. And I, I just saw your demeanor of just like having compassion for Chris. And I know you were feeling the pain for your wife. And at the same time, just really um, being a support to them. So I know you, you have a lot to say to encourage <laughs> them. And what do you say to yourself and what do you say into them that can help many others that are not getting the benefit of, of Ryan's voice in their head? I mean, I mean that day, I think I just immediately go into, into problem solving mode, whether it's for me or whoever I'm talking to. And I don't, you know, sometimes I don't have a lot of sympathy for, you know, the people that want to take a second and cry. And so um, I, 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 my brain just flips to, okay, this is what we're working with now. What could we do? You know, we have, what do you have? And I think now I won't talk too much about Can and Coffee. I don't know enough about their business, but that day I basically just, you know, Chris, I was there and I had a conversation and I said, Hey man, like, if you want to brainstorm some ways to do it, I think, you know, what could you do? There's, you could do a food truck. You could have a, you could do the curbside thing, but you'd be limited by blah, blah, blah. Could you do anything outside? I don't know about delivery. Um, could you pivot to selling more t-shirts and things like that? Like put it all out on the table as quickly as possible and start sorting through it. I think um, that tends to be where I go uh, pretty quickly. And I think, you know, I just don't like wasting time or, and I don't like feeling vulnerable. I think I like just feeling like whatever it is, tell me what tools I have to work with and I'll put it together the best I can quickly. I think a good example is with more with Boston, we had this fire, our warehouse burned down recently. And, um, and you know, that, that was a test for sure because I mean, I got that call that morning and I, I haven't been that sick on my stomach in a while. And I just thought, what are we going to do? It takes us so long to make boards. I mean, they're very specific and they're made in places with very long lead times and, and it's hard to do. So we, after this fire, um, you know, I quickly, I started just running through my head. What are we going to do? We won't have boards for two or three months, at least uh, most models. So 
what can we do? And I kind of, in the process, I kind of coined this, this phrase or this statement that I've been using lately. And it's that I'm not sure at this point in my life, I'm not sure that I would, I would agree that everything happens for a reason, but I'm certain that everything that happens, you have to give it a reason. Like that's your, that's you, you have to do that. It's not about whether it happened for a reason or not. because most things that came out of that fire were bad. You know, it's a giant pain. It still is today. We're, we're going to be beating our head against the wall for months to figure out how to, you know, put things back together. But there are certain things that came out of it that were good. And there are certain ways to leverage that good. And there, you have to be able to find those good things, lean into those and use them. So in, in one case with that was, it was our fan following, you know, people like Buston. So when your house burns down, good idea to turn to the people who like you and leverage that support. So one thing we did was by the end of the, by the end of that day, I actually I had a t-shirt pretty much mocked up the push through the fire campaign. And that, that weekend within two days, I think we sold 200 shirts or something like that to people. And, and actually we, you know, we marked most of the website back ordered and, you couldn't get things anymore, but people keep buying it, kept buying it because we leveraged that moment and that support in that minute to say, you know, this happened to us and here's how we're going to turn it into a good thing. You know, I think, I think a lot of it is just that, that ability to stay positive and to, and to enjoy a challenge. That's really what it's all about. I think people, and that's, I think why athletes kind of learn this, people, you know, these fitness people and things. It's like, and I don't have that, the fitness thing I wish I did, but it's enjoying a good challenge. Mine is like, I want to learn something. I want to make something. I want to fix something. And I, and if, when it gets hard, I actually get like more adrenaline going. And I say, wait, 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 this is stress. What you're feeling is stress and worry. And you feel like it's out of your control. So, so take it back you know, show that you can take it back, you know, think about it in a, in, in a good way. Like this is just a, a really competitive game of ping pong and I'm not going to lose, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think when you can harness that, and it, again, if you practice that with small things, you know, you get, I get stubborn about putting together like a piece of Ikea furniture and my wife's like, just give up. I'm, I'm not going to give up. I have to get this. Like it's a principle thing. This is my practice. I'm not going to stop until this stupid thing is working electronics like you know i get obsessive about these things but i think it's because you need to show yourself that you can that you can problem solve and if you can do it on those little things then when the big thing comes along when when a fire burns down your whole warehouse and ruins your whole spring and summer for your company you got to have that confidence and that mentality to be like all right there's there's definitely a way to do this and you're going to figure it out right well that is that's a big lesson right there because, you know, so many thinking about being a parent, you know, so many times what you want to do is you want to kind of rescue your kids from the fall, but you have to let them experience the fall so that they develop this push through the frustration, right. Of not being able to make it work to getting on the other side of that and experience that feeling because once you've experienced it once 
then you it's going to serve you the rest of your life, especially as an entrepreneur. And yeah. I can remember myself. I mean, you can look back and get hints. I mean, you can look into your kids or you can look at yourself regardless. I mean, depending on where you are right now. But when I was jogging back in my 20s, I can remember when I would get to a hill, I'd be like, I got this thing. Like, I am pushing through this hill. Give me a hill. Why don't you just give me a hill today? That's that's what was inside of me. It wasn't like, oh, no. And um, I can remember, I have two sons that are career musicians, and I can remember the day in middle school. Isn't it interesting? The dreams that are built in middle school in the heart, right? You said middle school for you. Derek was in middle school, and he was pounding. He was on his knees, and he was pounding the mattress. And he's like, I just want to be as good as some other musician in, in his school who he felt was at the top of his game. And boy, you know, there was that, I call that, that was the day I saw the fire in his belly that this boy is going to be a musician and they, nobody's going to stop this. Um, and to this day, um, that's that story, you know, I'm sticking to it and everybody can see that that, that played itself out to be true. But the cool thing is you've invested in, in dreamers, Ryan. Um, Rory has invested in you, your wife. And I remember the day that Derek got hired, um, to, to be in a band after college, but he had to come to Brooklyn, New York to be a part of this band. Right. And you hired him at Bustin Boards as as luck would have it, maybe it was a divine appointment, we don't know, but you hired Derek and you were part of his dream, you know, to hire, he had to have a job because he wasn't going to get paid mm -hmm. enough, you know, to, to have this opportunity to travel the country and the world with music. But you, you got to have, you've surrounded yourself with dreamers, haven't you? Younger, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who work in skateboarding are dreamers. I think it's a, mm. it's something you do. And if you love it, we haven't had a lot of success in with people who don't care about skateboarding. Right. Because it's, right. you know, the juice is, you know, you're going to get a lot more juice from the squeeze in some other industry than you are in this one. So you have to have, you know, a little bit of yeah, an interest. You, well, it's same with the music industry, right? If right. you want to make a living, in the music industry, you better show up, you better yeah. be at the top of your game, and you better be able to be a problem solver. I mean, I watched not just the restaurant industry, but the, um, I mean, look at all the breweries that are closed. You talk about skateboarding popping up at one season, a new skateboard company is popping up one after the other. Same thing yeah. with breweries, right? And this is where the festivals and the music gigs. Yeah. So, you know, the musicians, that are making a living at that, like overnight, all the work that they had put down to lay out their schedule for the next six months was canceled. Mm -hmm. So you have to get creative and you yeah. have to, that's when, you know, are you going to go surfing? Are you yeah. just going to throw in the towel and go surfing? Or are you going to figure this thing out? So a lot of people, Ryan, right now are trying to figure this thing out. And you have really spoken into their life today. I really believe you have. Um, you're a survivor. And um, you are, I'm, I'm, before I ask you a little bit more about Rory and her dream 
and emotions. I want to talk about emotions because I always talk about that emotional roller coaster. But before I get into that piece, I want to ask you books that you've read, podcasts that you listen to, because as an entrepreneur, we have to mind our mind. And we have to have not just our own voice in our mind. So can you make some recommendations or tell us a little bit about um, books and podcasts that have formed I mean, you I think and encouraged you? Podca- I mean, for the, for the entrepreneur, I, I don't think there's a better podcast than how I built this on, on NPR. If you want to get into real stories and the reality of some amazing stories, listen to that. And I think that, that podcast, I've been listening to that one for a couple of years. And it really has made me feel better about some of the challenges we've gone through, you know, to realize like, this is, this is a thing that's happening. This is a seasoning, this is a season and you, you can fight through that. And, um, it's normal, you know, but the, the process of a lot of people who just see a big successful business, whatever it is, um, look at any brand out there and they think, uh, that guy's a billionaire. So lucky, you know? And I think when you, how I built this really breaks it down from the beginning through the ups and downs, through the challenges, through the heartbreak, through the loss, and then pieces it together into this is how I survived. And this is, this is what, and then all of a sudden we had a breakthrough and then things came back to life. And, you know, I think, you know, Boston right now is, um, is doing really, really well. There's actually the pandemic has, has been good for Boston. And so the story of Boston would be, we could have gone out of business easily any moment during the last five years, we could, I could have thrown in the towel and no one would have blamed me because it, it was normal. Uh, but we held on. And now actually this pandemic turns out to be really good for skateboarding. No one can go to soccer practice right now. So they're all buying skateboards. And so I'm talking to some of the people around the industry and the joke is like, Hey, it's 2013 again. You know, I can't keep things in stock. And, and so you have these moments you, and I think that podcast helps you learn about, how business hold on through the tough times and then leverage the good times and then learn the lessons and stay alive. So I like that podcast. I think um, I have a bunch of books that I like, but most of them are sort of stiff. I don't, I don't really, I read like a lot of philosophy and psychology. Um, I like Ralph Waldo Emerson the most, Um, a lot of positive self-reliance type stuff in there, which is, which is good. I just helps me piece together the world. Um, uh, it's just it's sort of dense I like yeah. Plato, Plato's Republic is one of my favorite books um, talking about you know what it's like to know yourself and to or to just see your shadow on the wall and think you know yourself um, there's yeah my wife doesn't think my reading is very interesting Well, I tell you what, if you want to get to know yourself, I say build a business. (laughs) You'll get to know yourself. You'll get to know things about yourself you never thought you wanted to know, maybe. But, you know, you describe describe that um, the ups and downs of a business, it is a cycle and you have to expect it. And what I'm going to say is that the ups and downs of the emotions in a business is also normal. And I work in my business with probably 85% women. And I know you said at one point, I don't really have a lot of patience for 
you know, crying over spilled milk and the emotions that goes with it when the times get hard, let's just jump in and fix it. But, you know, when you're dealing with a wife and children, and in my case, women, um, and just, it, it doesn't really, it's not really gender specific. Emotions are emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Heartbreak and compassion, it, it's, a, it's a real emotion. And I just tell people, we tend to ride the big roller coaster of emotions when we're just getting our foot wet in business and in life. And what you have to learn to do is you have to learn to ride the mini baby roller coaster. And I say emotions are temporary. So if you feel great today and everything is working and the stars and the moon and everything's lining up, I want you to know, my friend, this is temporary. <laughs> Love you should it work. Today. You should get a bunch done when you feel like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. That's temporary. And then the other thing is true on a day when, man, nothing's working. You're just, your rhythm's off. You're not in sync. You feel like you're ready to throw in the towel. You just have to say to yourself, this is temporary mm -hmm. because it's a cycle. So I know that now you're speaking into Rory, I'm sure, in her business of free range cafe doing the soft launch after what a year or more of just working through all the ups and downs of even getting it ready to open the doors, bringing uh, real food that makes you feel good to a small town community. You've come back to the community that you love where you both were born and raised and you want to bring about some of the good things that you experienced outside of our community. And I love that. So you're dealing now with, you know, probably being the believer in Rory on these hard times of goodness gracious, all the adjustments, right. That have had to be made yeah. during COVID. So, yeah, I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm the best. I mean, I think when it comes to emotion, I think I remember in college really, it was like an epiphany to me to realize that most of us are on this, um, you know, this spectrum of bipolar, right. Like you're up and down it's, and that's normal. So that was actually really nice to learn. <laughs> it was like, Oh, well, I am actually depressed sometimes. It's not weird. And then I'm also overexcited and actually overproductive sometimes. And that's not weird. It's you're up and down. And I think, um, the only thing I'll say about emotion is that I think you just have to take it in, feel it, realize it's normal. If you're sad, be sad for a minute. Don't try to mask it right away. And, and that's probably the natural, most natural way to deal with it and to, and to flush it out. So if, if your warehouse burns down, you have a hole in your stomach, just realize that's normal and crap. I have a hole in my stomach. This is super freaky. And, and then, and then you let it pass and then you get back to work. I think with, um, with Rory in the business, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm part, you know, supportive husband and, and I'm part like Denzel Washington and remember the Titans. You know, I'm like, you don't have time to cry right now. Get up and get this figured out. You know, me, me crying with you is only going to make you weaker. You know what I mean? And I think there's a balance, a balance between the two, obviously, but I think there has to be both sides of it. You know, because I think we all have the friends who would like to sit around and cry with you about everything that's negative. 
and just let you pour it out. And that's healthy sometimes too, but too much of that I think is not always good. Sometimes I think you can dwell on things too much and you can almost open up Pandora's box if you're not careful. And so I think um, I'm learning to be maybe a little bit more like Rory was with me in Boston. And, and at the same time, I'm telling her like, you know, you, you don't have time to worry about that right now. That's actually not that important. And you're burning up a valuable energy worrying about something that's not important. You have other things to worry about that you really should channel that towards that actually do matter and that are going to make or break you. That one, um, I'm sorry you're stressed about it, but just uh, just put it out because it doesn't matter. It's minor. And I think um, that's sort of, I guess that selective thought is what you also get good at because you realize, you know, some things are major and some things are minor and you only have a few hours in the day and you better you better organize that, that, that energy, you know? Right. Well, it sounds like you complement each other and you know, you're in it together and it, it continues to be a pretty cool love story. I love. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's it. fun. The restaurant's been really fun. It's fun to work together. And she's so good at, at knowing what the customers want and making the food and figuring out the recipes. And I mean, she just, she just really hits a home run every time she makes something. And so what I try to do is shield her so she can focus on that as much as possible. If I could, I would be down there doing more. But when it comes to financial planning, marketing, um, web stuff, like it's like, don't worry about it. Just stay focused on making the food good and making you the do best. experience good. And I think her mom is the same. You know, we each, we each feel like we both feel, I think in a way that we're shielding Rory so she can do her magic for this place because this was all her idea. And her mom and I, um, her mom's a lot more involved than I am, but I think we both would agree that our role is to basically empower her to make this thing what she sees. Mm-hmm. And, and so far everything that she's, she's seen and implemented has been good. And I just think, okay, you're good at this. You need to make more, you need to make more things, make things better, you know? Well, I love that. I'm I'm so grateful that the two of you came back to your hometown to (laughs) raise your family, to be close to your family um, and to let your three boys, uh, Rourke, Quill and Archer grow up amongst all these lessons that your grand, their grandparents are teaching them, that they're learning as they watch the restaurant. I love seeing that they're a part of it. Um, I'm sure that fatherhood has changed you. And I'm sure that your three boys are teaching you lessons that you've not let, not yet learned, even from <laughs> all that you went through in business. Am I right hmm. about that? Yeah, for sure. That, that to me that it's still the most mysterious thing of all right now. It's the fatherhood. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's not as black and white, you know. Mm-hmm. And and you you're humbled a lot more there than you are when you run a business. Actually, you know, you try something, it doesn't work. You don't get the response you want. It just gets worse. And you should be able to just <laughs> fire someone or you know, buy a new thing, but it's not like that with kids. It's like you, you keep picking that lock until it opens and it's really hard to get it to open. 
And along the way, you feel like you're failing half the time. Mm-hmm. And you're wondering what the repercussions are of what, what you're doing and, and whether or not, you know, you're working too much or not uh, working too little or not paying enough attention to one versus the other. Or, and all these things are constantly going through your head and it's, it's, it's intense. Yeah. And don't you look at your parents in a whole new different way once you become a parent? Yeah, it's scary. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think about it a lot. Like, you know, what, whatever my dad did for me, you know, I'm, I'm a more or less functioning adult now. Am I mm-hmm. sure that I'm doing those things for my kids? Am I missing something? Am I going to, you know, make a mistake and overlook something? And, you know, am I teaching my kid how to buy a four-wheeler? And how to be a good friend and all the things that, you know, and so it's, it's tricky. And yet I still think in the same way you have to trust yourself and you just have to say like, I am going to do my best and I'm going to make sure I prioritize my kids as much as anything else. And if I do that, I'll probably do fine. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll speak a little wisdom into this this point mm-hmm. in this moment, and I'll just say two things. I have learned, and my my youngest will turn 30 this year, and Derek is going to be 33. And I have learned that more is caught than taught. And love is the main ingredient. So what do you mean by caught? Like how how does that how does that um, look in real life. Well, you know what? Here's how it looks in real life. I can, for whatever reason, I call myself a hope dealer, right? I love encouraging people and pouring into people and believing in them when maybe others don't. And I look back at my mother's life and my father's life, and I can see that they did that. They were encouragers. They cared about other people. And the main ingredient was always love. And I can unpack where they should have, they didn't parent by the book and they should have done things different. But the main ingredient was there and that was love. And they didn't sit down and teach me how to be an encourager, how to make a difference with my life. I caught it. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was contagious. I didn't realize that it was absorbing into my pores and as an adult, I would find myself that way. There's five of us girls, right? I have four sisters. And I can tell you, I look during COVID, two of my sisters are making masks. You know, Jamie, you you know, through family, of course. Um, she is there helping in just such, so many practical ways. And Same thing with my sister Janice, just out there looking, how can we go visit somebody that lives alone or take something, put it on their doorstep? And I look around and I'm like, oh my goodness, all five of us are different, but we all were raised by the same parents. And what are we doing? We're doing exactly what our parents would be doing today in this season of COVID if they were here alive and well, Mm -hmm. because we caught it from them. All five of us. It's similar, I guess, that to, to, to what we talked about with relationships too. It's like you have to find your best self before you can be in a relationship. And probably as a parent, you have to find your best self so that you can teach your kids what that looks like. And it it makes me think of a lot of people 
I talked to over the years who who are really um, distraught about parenting and they want to read every parenting book under the planet. And like, oh, I, don't, I just feel like I'm failing. I got to read more books. I just need more. And I, and I just think I'm always kind of like, okay, I don't, I don't know if the book's right. You know? Yeah. Maybe, good point. maybe the truth is that you need to learn to be comfortable with yourself and, you know, figure out why you're feeling insecure about it or whatever. It's like, so it makes that's sense. True. That's, that's useful to me in a way because, you know, I still, I constantly just, I have two, two versions of myself that I see. One is like where I've come and I'm pretty comfortable with that and I'm not discouraged. I like myself. Okay. And then I see this ideal and I'm like, you should be better. You should exercise. You should be more generous. You should read more. You should, you know, and you're not doing that stuff. You're not there and you never will be. But I guess you might argue that the parenting wise, you just keep going there and trying to be better. And then you show your kids what it is. And maybe that's what catching it means. Yeah. And I will tell you sitting here today, you know, people will say, you're on your game. You're really good at what you're doing. I have landed in my purpose and I'm clear on that, but I am the same way with you today, Ryan. I look at myself here and I look at myself up there and I'm like, but I should be more this and I should. So I think we, we strive continually. And that's something that our kids are going to catch, right? I see that in Derek. I see that in Brett, that they want to strive for excellence. Um, and we have to find peace in today, but still want to be better. And as we yeah. become a better version of ourselves, it translates down into our kids. There's just no question about it. Do you ever hear that person? I can't remember who it was. I think it was an actor. And they asked him, um, who do you look up to the most or who do you aspire to be like the most or something like that? And he said, um, he or she, I can't remember who it was, said, said myself 10 years from now, that's who I strive to be. Oh. And I think that's the same kind of thing. It's like, I know I'm here now. I'll, I'll be 40 this year. And, you know, I hope that by 50, I'll be, you know, more like what I can see. Right. I think that's, I think that's a great goal. I don't think we, any yeah. of us want to be totally satisfied with where we are today because that's not our best. Right. I think there's the other thing about just aiming high. I feel like that's another entrepreneur thing. Rory and I have talked about this recently. It's like you, you aim high and usually you don't quite hit that, but what you did was more than good enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the restaurant, we, we wanted to do, all this stuff and we were so ambitious and then the reality came in and we realized we really only have eight hours a day without our kids and in that time all the like we're not going to be able to do all that but we're trying but let's start with this 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 is and then you end up somewhere that's pretty good and it gets you there and it gets you yeah. to the next step you know i think you are doing a great job at free range cafe and keeping things in perspective that you know what right now you don't get to be your kid's friend you have these businesses and you have the responsibility of having them catch what your best right <laughs> but there comes a time down the road like where i am now where you can be their friend and they're mm -hmm. going to have their own life 
and you're, you can take your businesses to the next level and beyond at that point, And they'll probably be in that picture with you. So yeah. nobody told me okay. that there's a whole lot of stuff to invest in and enjoy and grow in, in the empty nest. The empty nest seems like forever away right now for you. Trust me. <laughs> Because it did no, for but me. I, I can imagine. I mean, I think knowing my personality type, I would, I would probably get real busy. Yeah. Also, yeah, for just busy with different things. There's always, you know, there's I, always things. Yeah. When people say I'm busy, I say I have a full life. I've learned that busy doesn't serve me well, and I don't want to glorify busy, but mm. having a full life, yep, I'll take that. And I expect I'll have a full life when I'm 75 and 85, is the same as I do it <laughs> at 60. So I'm going to ask you two questions as we wrap up. And I just want you to speak into the entrepreneur that out there that even in this season of COVID, they just have this fire in their belly, this dream in their heart, and they have got to make the jump. And a lot, I think that we really are th seeing things differently right now and really evaluating what's important. So they, they need somebody to speak into them and say, do it. What would you say to that entrepreneur right there on the edge? I, I think the hardest thing is getting started. I think you're, you know, it's like going from a standstill to a sprint. You, it's hard always. It's hard for me now. It's hard on Mondays. And I think what you have to do is say, I'm, you just have to jump off the cliff and you have to say, I'm getting started today. I'm not sure what I'm doing first. And I'm not sure if it's going to be good at first, but I'm going to get started and I'm going to get my train of thought going. In my mind, it feels like it really is like a train taking off for me when, when I start something. It's, it's, it starts off slow. Like I can't do this. I'll never, I can't get all this. I can't get this up to speed. And then I just tell myself like, shut up, just keep doing it. And you know, it'll come to you. And then, and then, sure enough, train of thought is a real thing and focus and turning off your phone and saying like, I'm getting up to speed right now. I don't have time for that. And then when you get started, you reach a point where you start to get momentum and then that's when you start to make things happen. And whatever that looks like, whatever, you know, relative nature that is in someone's life, whether it's starting a business or improving something or something, it's, um, you got to just start, but know that you're going to start slow. You might not feel it right away. You might not be super excited about it at first, but if, if you've come to the decision that you really want to do it, then you just have to get that train up to speed. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I would say. That's good advice. And I will attach a book to that, what you just said. And that is um, John Maxwell failing forward. Mm, yeah. He says, act yourself into feeling. You're not going to feel yourself into acting. So they got to jump, they got to do it. Totally. And then it, then the feeling will come. So great. Yeah, hundred percent. I really think that, I think you, I think you have to get yourself moving before you get the, you get the, before you privilege to, to feel the excitement and them and the, yeah, it's like something you have to work, work towards. Oh, like runners high or something. Yeah. You earn it. You earn those, those feel good moments in business. That's, I didn't look at it I mean, that I, way before. I like that. I sit, I sit some days like I know I need to launch a new jacket that we come out with. And I know most of what's involved in doing that, but I have to write copy and I have to come up with some marketing angles and things. 
and I, you know, starting those, those projects out is always hard for me. I sit here going, just distracting myself. I don't do it yet. I don't know. Free range sales real quick. See how that's go. And then finally I rip off the band and go, just start, just start the stupid thing. You don't want to, but you have to do it. And so then you, what should I do first? I'll take the photos first. Let's get the photos out of the way. Gosh, I'm like, you know, talking to myself, two sides of my shoulder. And then before you know it, I'm up to speed and I'm excited about this project and I'm just jab writing copy and I'm realizing how we're going to do it and how it's going to go and you know what people are going to like about it. And, and then, you know, there's a buildup that happens. And before you know it, I love this project, but it took me yeah. a while to get off the couch, you know? Yeah. But you just yeah. know that you have to, you can't just lay there and wait for some euphoric feeling that's going to rip you up and make you enjoy this thing from the start. You know? Yeah. Um, I love the way you describe talking to yourself because we really do have, we, number one, we have to talk to ourselves, And number two, you're talking to yourself, whether you believe it or not. And there's another book I'm going to throw out there. And that is Shad Helmstetter. What you say when you talk to yourself, <laughs> that is an excellent read for anyone. And I don't care if you're building a business or not read it. And the third one, this is a book for anyone Actually, everyone needs to read this book. And if you think you have good people skills, you definitely need to read it. It is um, Winning with People by John Maxwell. And it's kind of like the, today's version of um, Winning Friends and Influencing People by Dale Carnegie. Right. So uh, definitely great books. You can tell that uh, Derek has turned me into a podcast nerd and a podcast junkie, but I have read a whole lot more books before <laughs> turning into a podcast junkie. So anyways, yeah, that, last, that's, that's good. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. Um, I also read raising boys. <laughs> I should read that. Yeah. That's a good one. You know, you could get it in audible. I know you and I were kind of like always moving, but anyways, um, what would you say to that discouraged nine to five rebel out there? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a hippie at heart and I think life is short. I'd rather live in a tent by the river doing something I like than staying in a, in a job because I'm afraid of losing the stuff I'm used to. So my biggest thing is again, back to what's the worst that can happen. You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've faced this decision many times earlier. Should, should you guarantee your, your house uh, for a business loan? Well, what's the worst that can happen? We lose the house. Yeah. There's, <laughs> and we live with our in-laws for a little bit till we figure it out. That's the kind of, to me, it's, you have to get yourself into the mindset where you're not afraid of losing the stuff or the security, you know, if you want to do something new, because usually, you know, usually it's, it's, there's no, there's no guarantee. That's the thing about business and, and taking that jump. And it's much different than a job because there's no guaranteed paycheck and you realize, you know, you're going to sink or swim. But I think getting yourself into the, into the most reasonable position you can get in terms of a savings account or a, a backup plan 
or a low expense structure. It's always a good one. You know, give up the expensive car leases and go to the auto auction and buy a $1,500 car. Um, do some of those things so that you can, you know, lower the bar a little bit for what, or lower your nut that you have to crack every month. If you're going to take a big risk, give up some of the luxuries and get prepared and just realize that that stuff is not making you happy. You know, I think that's, that's what, you know, it seems like consumerism is just, is getting more rampant than ever. Everywhere I look, it's like people are obsessed with things and they're being sold things and I'm a pretty good marketer. So I, I know how that works and I see right through it all or most of it. And yet I still want some things, but I think um, you just got to try not to be imprisoned by these things and these, these, these brands and these things that want us to feel like a new BMW is going to make you so much happier. Seven ninety nine a month. You should do it because it's all, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a trap if you're not careful because all of a sudden the job you hate is the job you need because you set up a life which requires you to make that much money every single month, no matter what. And if you could just minimalize, minimize, hopefully Derek can edit that. Some of my poor word choices. If you can minimize some of that expense structure and realize that you don't need all that stuff, you know, you need a laptop and a kitchen table for most of the things you want to do. And Wi-Fi. Yeah. And Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, I said, um, so yeah, I think it's a balance between a practical approach and, and, an, uh, and a stubborn confidence. I mean, I think, you know, it's not bad to have a little money set aside and have a safety net. And yet you can't be, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You're not going to have all the luxuries that you had before. You have to give some of that up and then you go for it. And then you probably get some of that back and more later. Mm -hmm. If not, you're happy and you learned a bunch. Yeah. Well, you know, the world will be a better place if more people do what they love for a living. They'll be yeah. happy. I mean, like you said, happiness is not going to a job that you hate to have the stuff that you feel like you need. Happiness is doing what you love for a living. And to, I add on making a difference because I love an opportunity to make a difference. Um, yeah. I'm going to end with what the phrase that you coined, help me to get it right. You're <laughs> not, <laughs> you're not certain that, everything that happens happens for a reason but you're certain that you have to give a reason to everything that happens did i get that right yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> and then you said to leverage the good like lean into the good what we're all going through right now we've got to lean into the good that's coming out of it yeah, I think take inventory of, of what um, tools and what advantages and what, you know, what strengths you have to work with mm -hmm. and focus on those. You know, I think when, um, when Boston was going through this hard time, we had trouble selling skateboards. And it was like, man, you know, I've tried everything in the book. I've tried every type of ad campaign. I've tried calling, cold calling shot. Like it just, I just can't sell these stupid skateboards anymore. 
So what does Boston have? What is it? What does it have? It has history. It has brand value. It has a following. It has some cool factor. So what else could Boston make that leverages those things? And through that, we've, you know, we, we established the new electric board line, which has been pretty much our saving grace. Um, technical skateboard bags and apparel, which is the other side of our growth. And we've leveraged what we had and we didn't focus on why skateboards weren't selling quite as much. We tried some things. We tried pricing changes and marketing strategies, but nothing really stuck. And then eventually we, we had to leverage other things that the brand had in order to save the brand. And I think that's, um, that's pretty much what you have to do every time. Mm-hmm. You know, when, like when free range, uh, you know, that day when the governor closed the restaurants, you know, after leaving Canada, I went straight to, to free range and it was like, Oh my God, did you hear, what are we going to do? Are we going to have enough money to get through this? And I was like, we have a drive through, but we don't know how to work it. Yeah, but we have it and we can figure out how to work it. I mean, how many days, that wouldn't take long. We just have to get in there and figure it out. We have, um, a brand we could sell clothes we have I know how to build websites we can make the website nice um, da, 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 da. and you take what you have and you work with that and then you create something cool and from that actually came that uh, the healthcare donation program which was completely random and that turned into a whole thing just because we stayed with it you know we could have closed our doors that day a lot of restaurants did mm-hmm. and we said no let's just stay alive I mean we have had Rory's like, we have extra food. Let's take it to the hospital. And she said, there's a girl on Instagram who keeps asking us to take some food out there. So, and, I, and, and, you know, my first instinct was focus. We have to figure out how to sell stuff. Stop trying to give everything away right now. And then she said, yeah, but we have extra food. Let's take it out there. And I was like, okay. And so on the way back from that trip and, and seeing that response, Rory had this idea. She was like, people want to, help what if we just stayed open making donation foods and we just had a smaller staff and we just brought the numbers down so they were in line with however many donations we could become and then that turned into a huge thing and it was a really cool thing for the brand and it kept the business going and helped us pivot through and then we donated something like 600 meals well you know why that is ryan because in hard times the heart of a business comes to the surface. And mm-hmm. in the soft launch phase of Free Range Cafe, the heart has come to the surface and the whole community sees it. And now you have to, now that our next interview has just got to be with Rory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, sure that she and I are going to need tissues to get through that one. But um, <laughs> She can come here and use my, my microphone and stuff and have her <laughs> solitude so she can... So she can there do it. Yes. She'd, be, she'd be a good one. I mean, she has a much more interesting life than anyone I know, actually. I mean, her life, it's, it's, oh, so I love her story. Crazy. I mean, it's, it's interesting when your, your wife, who you've been married to for 10 years, you've known since third grade, can still tell you a story that you've never heard before. Did I ever tell oh, you about that one time in Italy when I fell off a scooter and I, you're like, <laughs> what? And I almost died on this scooter. And you're like, where do these stories oh, come from? Oh my goodness. That's pretty cool. She's a good one. She's yeah. been around. Well, yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan. This has been uh, great. 
Very yeah, rich. I appreciate your time. And I wish you and Bustin' Boards and Free Range Cafe all the best. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank all you. Right. Good job on your podcast. You're a pro. Hey there, 9 to 5 Rebel. We are so grateful you chose to make time for yourself by listening in today. Be sure to tune in next week as Jesse delivers yet another dose of hope for your entrepreneurial spirit. If the rebel in you has been inspired today, will you please subscribe or leave us a five-star review? Help us reach other 9 to 5 Rebels like yourself because the world definitely needs more people doing what they love for a living. And while you're at it, go ahead and share this episode with a friend. To learn more about your Beacon of Hope podcast host, Jesse Kretzer, just visit her website at jessiekretzer.com to subscribe to her blog, or you can connect with her directly on Facebook at Jesse Robison Kretzer or Instagram at Beacon of Hope underscore JK.